Labor Day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast tonight. I'm Chris McCarthy. Of course, as always, Marcus Farrow is here with me. Um, Scott Lang, want to thank him for coming in with us. Um, sorry, Gig, that we held him up a little longer than normal. But, um, Marcus. It was worth it. It was a great conversation. The other thing is, oh. locally, we have a ballot question well, in November. Well, yeah, well, and before we go, get there, actually, so Steve B. from Fairhaven uh, said, great show. He doesn't know if Scott Lang will be running for Senate or House of Representatives at the federal level. Thinks he would be great. So listen, I agree he would be great. Right. Um, he did. He did consider a run for Senate against he Ed was Markey. Very close to running uh, against Ed Markey um, until Joe Kennedy had decided to challenge him. Um, and uh, you know, I he has often. I think expressed openly desire to run for elected office again. So we'll have to see. I agree. I think he'd be great. Scott and I have spent a lot of hours discussing it late into the night, uh, particularly before I got sick. Um, and uh, he really considered running for the U.S. Senate. I should say more than considered it. Um, he was uh, pretty pretty close to doing it. And um, I think it was a wise decision not to run, but in retrospect, he should have done it. Yes. He should have done it. In retrospect. <laughs> yeah, you're telling okay? me. Yeah. In retrospect. Um, but that's easy, right? Easy, easy to say what you should have done now that now that you, I think the there was a, I think there was, an, there was an appetite for a... I think there was clearly an appetite for a challenger in the primary level. Right. Um, you know, I really like Joe Kennedy. I think he's a great guy. So do I. He just ran a bad campaign. He, you know, <sighs> and and instead of using instead of using his Kennedy name, which still carries well right. as as um, an asset, he let the he let his um, detractors beat him over the head with it. And he he got. Um, too caught up in the trendy issues of the day, um, and they, every political party has them. But at the end of the day, it's 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 the meat and potato issues. Well, well he also he also w- w- let Marky define himself too early in the trendy issues of the day. Um, he Mar- Marky was able to remake himself incredible masterfully, yes. really. And I think there's something to be said about Ed Markey's political instincts, right? Because he saw his friend, right. Mike Capuano, lose to an appreciably more conservative opponent, really, because Mike Capuano supported Medicare for All before oh, our, before yes. Ayanna Presley did. Yes. You know, like yes. Ayanna Presley came to, came to progressivism, you know, I think just in time for her to challenge him for that seat. Right. She saw him lose to uh, a, a, a younger... Um, you know, a, a younger candidate that better reflects um, the the demographics of the neighborhood, and she right. campaigned on that. Yes, and so uh, he saw that he was in the Senate by now, uh, by then. Otherwise, he would have gotten primary too. Right, right. Um, and said, okay, well, let's look at AOC here. I better, you know, I, you know, he this is, her. yeah, right. He this her, is, right. He he hitched his wagon to her, and it, and and it, and it paid off. It turned out it worked. Yeah. The other part that where Marky met, and I'm, I'm a big AOC fan. It's just you know, I, 
It's the other know. place that Mark that I, that Kennedy messed up, in my opinion, is traditionally the Kennedys have always gotten elected with a family member running their campaign, and that may have been the figurehead somewhere this time. But there were a lot of out of town people. When I would talk to some of these guys on this campaign, they didn't know New Bedford yeah. from Fall River. They yeah. were California people. Yeah, one guy. One guy asked me how to get to a a, a, a Kushnet Ave. See, so five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. You're live. Hey, you think when um, uh, Triple Joe did the uh, Democrat response in front of the uh, oh, yeah. what looked like a what looked like a Delmon eighty eight? I mean, it was on. in Fall River, it, and he had, he had the white stuff in the corners of his <laughs> mouth. Yeah, he, yeah. Had, he had he had a soon to be indicted criminal in the front row, <laughs> Jaisal Correa. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember I remember being so angry, thinking, "Where is his advance staff?" So, so the the State of the Union response is a curse. They always put one of their favorite people there, their rising stars, into the State of the Union response. <laughs> and then they kill them. It always firebombs their their <laughs> their trajectory. Who's done them in the past? Uh, uh, Ma- uh, the the uh, the, the you remember you remember the one that uh, was kind of a funny one where uh, Marco Rubio. Uh, no, no, I was just thinking. Oh, the water. The water. Of an odd one with the, uh, remember the former governor of um, oh, South Carolina? Bob, no, no. Oh, uh, Nikki Haley. Nikki yeah, Haley Nick- gave a response to the Republican response, didn't she? I, I, I mean. <laughs> and she was speaking, like, through her teeth the whole time. She had this weird, like, it looked like she was, like, yeah, she had some something going on. Yeah, she, <laughs> don't, that don't one. Count her out. She's she's a very um, you know she's a very viable politician. I don't know what she's up to these days, but uh, you know what's very interesting is she's a first generation uh, Asian Indian American, right? And the Indian American community, right? So to be not Native American, I'm talking about, but but from from Asia, um, right. they have been very successful in this country, right? A lot of business owners, a lot of doctors, a lot of medical people, right? Involved in in the, and a lot of college professors, scientists from the Indian community. And they seem to be, anyway, many of them mostly are Republicans. There are some obviously in the Democrat Party, but... I would say they're, um, they're, you know, as a, if you can make a... um a generalization, you know, which is always wrong. But yes. If you can make a generalization, they're they're free marketers. I, I think that's a very good way to put it. They're free market and believers in education, um, not not necessarily the teachers' union type education. So, but advanced science degree. Getting too getting too granular with the policy here. I want to go back to the funny State of the Union moments. All right, all right. So there was, uh, yeah, Nikki Haley had that weird sort of talking through her teeth thing. The funny State of the Union is this when Nancy Pelosi ripped up the speech, or another funny. Oh, that, that was, was that, that was, was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, right behind him, and then like when Trump turned to him, she did this like patronizing little clap when he was trying to. And they wouldn't shake hands. Yeah, and they wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't shake hands. I, Obama tried doing that with Boehner too, and it it, it really didn't work out. Uh, so, it didn't so, work either. So, so would you guys? Um, I mean, I know. I, I think Chris would. But by the way, hey, Chris, when yes. you um, when when you start your uh, your uh, <clears throat> your broadcast, <clears throat> you start your sentences. Yes, you sound exactly like you did before. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, but no, it, it really like no difference. And, and as your voice gets tired. You can kind of tell it's a little bit strange, but it's really cool. I I, I love. I'm so glad you're back. And thank you. Know. I really appreciate it. I really and, do. But 
So any yeah, all right, enough. <laughs> Wet kiss, so, right? <laughs> no, well, no, I'm on your side mostly, but right. um, so, so what, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that uh, quickly, the, it, there was a great piece today about what the cost of climate policy is versus the cost of climate change in the journal. So, it was, it was, but, but it, mm. and it was just an opinion piece, but yeah. it was an interesting in that. So what was it? 50 years ago, we built a, a dike in New Bedford. Yes. So that, that's a cost of, of climate change. We had to do that to protect the, the harbor, but the price of climate policy, which is, uh, uh, the, the change in, um, how we treat, you know, uh, oil exploitation and, and coal exploitation and and et cetera et cetera nuclear so the point that the uh, the argument was that the climate policy has cost a lot more at a, our individual pockets than actual climate change dealing with rising sea levels and droughts mm-hmm. and this and that it's climate policies cost us more. What do you think? Well, I, I, I happen to think that that's probably right. I don't can't I don't know the breakdown of the detail, but yeah. I would say that the idea that we can control the weather never never mind in fifty years or a hundred years from now is a real well, exaggeration. We can, we of can the take humans. Ability. We can take a. No, well, I don't think so. I think we can take affirmative steps to make more um, environmentally fresh, friendly policy decisions, and you can't tell me that wouldn't affect the weather. But the question is, what what well, is environmentally sound? Just said something that was pretty interesting. Go ahead. So, so, so in that. other words, if you if you go to electric cars and windmills, um, on the surface we go, those are environmentally friendly. Those are good decisions. Okay, but what about the cost to build the windmill to install the windmill to on the environment to the batteries the lithium all that stuff in other words nothing is without a cost of some sort to the environment i don't think anybody's saying it's not without a cost it's just what what's so what's, it so that so that's the question you have to do a cost benefit exactly so what's the benefit do you think do you think if we do this particularly in this country or in this state or in California, or in the, in the most liberal states, but n- maybe not in Tennessee, maybe not in Texas, certainly not in India, certainly not in China. Do you think we're going to have an impact that's worth the cost? I mean, that not that really the question? When, when you talk about, for instance, electric cars. Now, I rode in a Tesla the other day. It's a fantastic car. It's a beautiful car. Um, and I'm all for it, right? I mean, if you can make electric cars run and 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 be efficient and, and and the price is not too much for the average person i think overall it would be good but as you can already see seeing happen in california where are we going to have the electrical sources people in massachusetts do not want to see new plants for electrical generation developed and we are not at the stage yet of battery development and maybe we will be where we can have the wind blow and the sun shine to create enough energy, which then we can store. This is very important. We can store it to be used at the time that we don't have the wind and the the, uh, sun in the calendar, right? So So if we mandate that 
that transition by, you know, legislative fiat. Um, and, and we have to comply with it, like California and, and legislative Virginia. 35, and, and, 2035, well, no more cars in Massachusetts. Well, yeah, I know, but it's well, so no. But my point is, if you, if you if you if you do it by 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 directive, by a force, as opposed to bringing yeah, people I, on. I've yeah. just always what, what, I've, I've just always understood fiat to be more of like a directive from the executive branch. So when you said yeah, legislative yeah, fiat, I, I thought. What, what is that? I, I, yeah, I, well, I, I apologize for my. Uh, oh, I, I guess I'm just I'm just being pedantic. But, well, well, but but my point is that um, the, the the great efficiencies that we've achieved, you know, from the time that we used to burn whale oil to the time we where we've got to be now, have not come by government uh, mandate. That's they not true. By, they, that's not, come, that's they, not true. The fuel efficiency standards were 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 a mandate by the Obama. I mean, the ones that we have now are absolutely by a result of a mandate by the Obama administration. But, but the Obama administration is so relatively close to us in time. He's talking about the evolution of energy policy from whale oil because, all the way through. Know, what, it's what, come through the development what, what, what of, the, of the economy. We shut down a coal plant on, 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 uh, in Brayton Point and replaced it with gas because, and we reduced our CO2 uh, emissions and and you know that that the, the well whatever you I don't know how you guys want to think about this we knew that uh, natural gas was more be- was better than coal yes. um, we we use less yeah we use less energy to do the same things that we used to we've gained efficiency sure. the United, the United important. States has been one of the leaders in reducing our carbon footprint footprint even though we use more energy as we grow as an economy um but we if we have to compete against a, 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 a country that can burn coal for short money and and we're trying to you know spend 50 cents a kilowatt hour to make ice to uh, ice down our fishing in bedford you know what's going to happen is we're not going to be competitive so I so the reality of it is, is that we're all better off if we're not burning coal. But yeah. I think what you're saying is that the great evolutions between sources of energy have come not because the government outlawed the existing ones, well, well, I mean, but because there were new and better, more cost-effective, more efficient sources uh, of energy, and so therefore they made the other ones yeah, obsolete. And, and energy without, se- but the energy yeah. sectors have been regulated by the government. The reason that we stopped whaling is because the government outlawed it. No, they did not. No, yes, they did. The government yeah, but they, out- they, they no, stopped no, using a long time before that. <laughs> because it wasn't competitive. Well, long time before that, Marcus. Oil Marcus. You know, it, it, was, it turned out they're running, running a ship from the, last from ship the went out in, to the, to the, to the uh, Pacific Ocean like 19, and coming 18, back right? with baleen oil. Well, you know, wasn't competitive. It, it just wasn't competitive with, uh, you know, what they were drunk. They came up with in uh, Pennsylvania. Well, you know, it, it just... Things change. It happens. But my just generally, guys, you know, I I think when 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 you get politicians that are promoting a particular uh, approach, they're not really the most forward thinkers in the world. They're usually guys that are on the take. Or they've That's been. All I'm gonna say. And energy executives aren't. They they. No no the. They're on the take from them. The they're on the take from them. 
They're gonna they're gonna pick and choose yes. the winners because yeah. that's what they do. Because they got a short lifetime. Might as well get what you can while you can. You 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 better off letting the energy sectors evolve um, from one source to the other, and you're really better off in the end having multiple sources of energy. One of the reasons I I appreciate what's going on here with offshore wind is that it's going to add some additional manufacturing of energy to the blend, right? That's why I'm not for sinking all of our eggs in one basket. I'd well, like down the blend. How do we maintain the base load? No, no, I know. Need. We need the base load. We need nuclear. So how, we need, so, so that's we the shut, problem. They're getting rid of it. The coal, we shut down the nuclear. So how are we going we to maintain the base load? That's, my pro- that's the problem we have. Is that we're, we're rushing to shut down the stuff that works because we're hoping the stuff that we'd like to have work will so, work. So, so it's not good. It's not a good plan. Well, so an interesting um, uh, uh, notion that somebody who knows a lot more about this than I did said one of the more efficient things we can do is take the shale gas that's in uh, Pennsylvania, perhaps, say, and instead of trying to pipe the, the shale gas over here uh, or, or whatever type of gas it is, there's a lot of a lot of natural gas in Pennsylvania. Tremendous. Instead of instead of <clears throat> piping it here in a natural gas network, which just seems to really irritate the lefties. What you do is you you, you build uh, uh, power plants where the gas is and and transport the power, the, the electricity that you generate, into the grid, which you it's, it's much easier to make a, to, to lay. Or, that or, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So you what you have to do, but you have to you, you can't get mad at gas. No, you know what I mean. Can't get mad at nuclear. You can't get mad at gas. But what you do is you have to have multiple sources of electricity, electric generation, and a much better uh, grid network to to cover the um, you know the in um, you know the the, the inexactness, the uh, the inconsistencies of, of the uh, green fuel. You know the guy who just left, Scott Lang, is a big fan of fusion, right? Fusion energy, um, and I, I since Scott brought it up to me, um, I've I've read more about it, and uh, there's a lot still to read about it. What I what, one of the things I do enjoy is there's a lot on YouTube. You can get some really good lectures from people at MIT, Harvard, place like that on energy policy. Real scientists, not politicians, guys explaining what they're trying to do, and, and the, you know, right down to the to the types of of material they have to use. What's the cheapest and, and, stuff? And, and, mass production things. And, and and at the end of the day. That's what that's how that's what we're going to adopt. Yes. There's going to be innovative people that have figured this out, and they're going to figure they're going to figure it out, and and we'll look back at it a hundred years from now, going, "Oh my God, those people were brilliant! How could we be so stupid not to realize it ten years earlier?" Have you ever read Atlas it's Shrugged? Not be, it's not going to be the politicians, I guarantee. You. Have you ever read Atlas Shrugged? It's you know the novel by Ayn Rand. It's about one of the things in that is. They discover a perpetual motion machine. They they invent someone invents it, and then it gets broke. You know, it's a whole big subplot in the story. But the idea of of energy in societies has been going on forever, right? I mean, you know, if you if you read the the colonial history of America, we exported our trees to Europe because Europe had cut all their trees down to burn them. That was how they got their energy, right? 
they they didn't have any lumber left or very little. Yeah, exactly. The ship's mass, right? That too. They'd used it all up, right? But they got to America and they said, wow, look at these amazing forests. And they, in Europe, if you go there, a lot of the buildings are not built with wood. They're built with stone. They didn't have wood. It was gone, right? So the quest for energy used to be that wood was our only energy. The fact that we can use oil as a gift. The fact that it's so developed so much kilowatt of power out of oil. Uh, coal is another one. But we're developing new ways. But the fact of the matter is, as you said, Carla, we're not going to get there by mandates. We can we can put a better tip on the on the spear maybe with mandates at the end of a of, a, of an energy cycle. But you have to keep the door open for new types. And Scott Lang talks a lot about fusion. It's still down the road, but that could be put so, all so of our energy would, needs aside. Uh, we, so what, what would you rather? What would you rather do? Spend a uh, million dollars to add three feet to the dike <laughs> to make sure if the water does rise because of climate change, or do you want to say we're going to have to spend three? $30 billion to, to redo the grid in New Bedford so everybody can charge their electric cars. You know something? I don't think anybody has looked at the question that way on a serious level locally, but I appreciate you doing it. Because you're right. You know, they're talking about putting the dikes and things like like we have here in New Bedford in Boston Harbor. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, we have I – mean, there's, there's some inevitable change in the, in the sea level. Yes. Right, so we deal with that as a society. I mean, you know, look at the the, the Dutch. Look at look at the look at the dike. I mean, they. How, what year was the dike built? There was a after uh, I believe it was after the thirty uh, eight hurricane. They came up with the plans, and maybe after the fifty four hurricane, they they nailed it down. I, I but they had plans for dikes across uh, the Narragansett Bay. Uh, you know, it was. They realize that we have a bunch of we have a bunch of manufacturing facilities that are, that are uh, you know that are. Uh, hey man, it's sub- all subject. Always interesting talking. We're going to take we have to take a we break. Take a break. Right, we'll be right back. Thanks yeah, for the call. Thanks for having me. Yep. Bye. Five zero eight nine nine six. Listen to us live anywhere. I saw today. Uh, I get the media advisories from a lot of these candidates. Right. Yeah. So I saw Healy's media advisory. Okay. Her and Kim Driscoll went to Springfield today. All right. And in attendance was. Um, a few people, you know, you had Richard Neal, the, the, the congressman of that area. You had Dominic Sarno, who's the mayor of Springfield and has been for a long time. Yes. You had, uh, Adam Hines and you had Eric Lesser. Okay. Eric Lesser, who just lost his gubern, uh, the lieutenant governor's race. He got race. a little lesser than he thought he, he was. He got a little get. lesser than he thought he was going to get. Exactly. But he did really well in Western Mass. He yes. cleaned up in Western Mass. It just was, there wasn't enough votes for him, uh, to win there. But you know what he did? He went out there and he supported, Kim Driscoll and Maura Healy because he's a Democrat and he realized the mission is to get the people with similar philosophies into office and to get the people with differing philosophies out of office. And he so clearly th- thinks they're trustworthy. Yes. Yeah. And so and so and so I think there's local candidates that may have lost primary elections that um, could really learn a lesson from that. Well, I would say that if you're a Democrat and you lost to Kim Driscoll. You don't have to worry about what Kim Driscoll is going to do when she gets into office. Mm-hmm. You can feel comfortable endorsing her. Yeah. That may not always be the case. I'll give you an example. I can understand why Charlie Baker is not 
endorsing Jeff Deal. Well, that's a little different because, I mean, Charlie Baker... I can understand why Chris Doty, he did endorse him, Yeah, but... I can understand why he's not going to sign over his fortune that, to him. That's right? a little different. That's a little different, I think, because I mean, Charlie Charlie Baker was like, first of all, chased out of the party by Deal, yes. um, and second of all, uh, he Jeff squashed Jeff, whatever ambitions Charlie Baker had for political future were ruined by Deal. Yeah, and and Jeff Deal isn't necessarily much the way Nick Bernie's political future was ruined. By the mayor of Attleboro. Well, I guess they were also ruined by um, Oliver Cipollini and whoever beat him in the state rep race. I mean, that's not, I don't think so that's... So you're saying it's a slow death? Well, well, no. And you're the one that brought it up, not Was me. he angry with, with Cipollini the way he's angry with um with the mayor of Well, uh, I don't Attleboro know. Now? I don't know. It was 10 years ago. But um, I, but here's, here's he did actually, well, I mean, he helped... Well, See, uh, here actually, we go. Tell me what you know. Actually, he did help a, he did help a primary, his, his primary opponent four years later, Joe Ferreira, right? So he I knew you knew. Yeah, I right. knew you knew. So it seems like there's it's a pattern. It's not a ridiculous question. So I knew you knew. So it seems like there's a pattern here. See? But, um, but, you know, I was talking about some of the animosity in the local primaries. You brought up Nick Bernier. But, I mean, I will say this is that, um, you know, if... I don't think anybody's fooled by that act, like saying, oh, well, you know, he went too far left. From Well, when did he go too far left? From the time that you were here in studio on August 17th, and you said, I will support whoever wins the Democratic nominee, to the time that the mailer came out the next day. Did he go too far left in that time? I don't think so. I would say that um, Nick Bernia, um, I don't know what his answer is to that question. It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I um Maybe we can have Mon to ask that question because I, I do find that that tangling to be very interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's going funny. on with those people? It right? was well, you know what I liked is that it's entertaining. Haru shrugged it off like he's like I'm not, you know, I already beat him. I'm not facing him. I'm going. I'm moving forward. <laughs> Which I do think is the only answer you can really have. Yeah, but um, seems like Nick is not taking that for an answer. No, it looks like he wants to endorse Hodgson now, which I don't understand. Like, listen, as you know, I think I feel like there's a lot of Democrats that are going to look at that, you know, because Hodgson, you know, obviously Hodgson's gotten some Democrat votes, but he would have had to to be successful. Yes. But, but by and large, I think the people like I think Haru had a good point. The people that voted in the Democratic primary in uh, for for sheriff yes. voted for a change, voted for a change. I would agree with that. They voted for somebody that isn't Tom Hodgson. They made a point to do that. If you pulled the ballot. And voted all the way down to the sheriff's race. You wanted you, you wanted, want you wanted a candidate who's formidable to run against the sheriff. Yeah, and so if you so so to to then go and say, well, you know, he's he's moderating his positions, and I'm like, well, this this is a weird change in the last like two weeks, and I wonder if it had anything to do with your feelings being hurt. So it's a, it's not, and it's not. I like, think it's I don't I don't think it's even a question. It has to do with her, her feelings. Yeah, I mean, Marcus, I don't think that <laughs> it's so bad. It, that it's unbecoming. question. It's unbecoming, you know, and I, I really, it's, you know, it's it's something that's really, it's puzzling me because I've, I've found Nick to, to be a pretty nice guy, but he's handling this loss so poorly, and I, and I think it's reflecting poorly on him. I, I've heard people call him uh, on Facebook and on social media a sore loser. He's, I, look, I've read this, I think you read it as well. There's numerous letters to the editor in the in the New Bedford Light, yeah. um, calling him a sore loser yeah. and, and um, p- things like that. And um, I don't think that's helpful to Haru's case, really. Well, I, I just think you. you I don't think he's going to learn 
that he shouldn't be a sore loser by being called a sore loser. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it'll just maybe embitter him, which I think... Well, he's already he's already thoroughly <laughs> embittered. I mean, there's Let's no... Let's see how deep it can get. Them. Yeah. Well, it's just like, what is he... Well, the, here's the other part of it. It's like, if he, you know, he's going to go endorse Hodgson. It's like, if you're if you were that influential, you would... <laughs> It would be in the general election, but I don't get. But but it but it makes it doesn't make sense to me because the Democrats that want to change in the sheriff's office, right? And then you're just going to go say, well, I didn't win, so I'm going to endorse. The, I'm going to basically say nice, semi endorse the Republican now. So it makes it sound like this office was running for this office wasn't about the. The, the people that you're supposed to serve, the people in Bristol County that you right. think would be safer under you or the uh, the inmates at Bristol County that you think would be better served by your um, administration, it makes it sound like it's about you. So I think that um, we're going to have a, a field day with the sheriff's race. But, Marcus, let me ask you a question because I, maybe I derailed this or, or took it over here. But yeah. um, what about, because I, I don't think we got here. Rick Trapello was very gracious to call it into the show. That's the model for how you lose an right. election. About Bill Strauss. I think he said he was going to support Bill Strauss. He did. a Republican, right? He committed to it before and he committed to it after. So I think that's a good a good thing, right? Um, I think that that's the right way to do it. Um, Chris Markey doesn't have any competition, so it's not necessary for Costa to say that he would support him. Um if, if he had a Republican opponent, but you just again you look at situations where in which there's a there's a general election, you see the Democrats supporting the opponent in this one, you see, and and then to have this sort of like lame ass like uh, I'm not for blind party endorsements. I'm like, well, you all just sat here like a few weeks ago and said you would agree on everything, so I don't know what the difference is, right? You know? But I wonder, for instance, let's maybe take it on the national scale and we can, we'll, we'll bring it down. But think about the fact that Jeb Bush really could not support Donald Trump. A little right? different. So he said... He said <laughs> made fun he, of his mother. Well, and he really didn't like his position. So. Yeah, but he made fun of... Yeah, but but I think... I think I don't think it was personal. That, oh, of course it was. Well, I think... He I, made fun of his brother and he made fun of his mother. But I think it was really... When it, when it got down to it, it was about his policy positions in China, the immigration policies, things like that. The real stuff beyond the personal. And I wonder if that's what Nick... Because, by the way, Bush knows there's another election, and he didn't want to be tagged with the Trump positions he didn't agree with. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what Nick Bernier is saying. I, I think you're assuming. He doesn't want to be tagged with some of these more left nah. positions that, that uh, Maya Haru is taking. Nah, he said he agreed with him a, a, a day before that, that mailer came out, so I, I think you're assuming he's a bit more tactful than he actually is. <laughs> Maybe I am good, doing him more good, good evening, you're live. Hello? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? You're talking. About, guy was talking earlier about the dike that was built in the South End. Yeah, yep. I believe that was around the same time they built the bridges in the Cape. Um, they that was all done by the Army Corps of Engineers. I could be wrong, but um, I have a question about those bridges. Is it true there's actually a couple of dead bodies in yes. the concrete in those bridges? Yes. It's true. They were buried. They had to. They had to. They had to bury workers there because they would, when they died during the the construction of the bridge, they just poured the concrete over them. Yeah. There's. There's. Yeah. On the on the born in on the born in Sagamore Bridge. I think on the born bridge in particular, there's there's bodies in there. That's. Um, yeah. There's a song by the Outlaws about that. I fell into that gray concrete below. Yeah. Yeah, I, I talked to the uh, years ago. I talked to the Cape Cod Historic Society about that. Yeah. They denied bodies being in that bridge, but I, I learned that in elementary thought. school. 
I'm not even joking. Sitting in front of you? (laughs) No, I'm serious. I'm that elementary. Was your dad kidding with you? Maybe. (laughs) No, it's true. Hey, listen, we got to take this break. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call, brother. All right. Um, fourteen twenty WBS back five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good evening. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hey. I wanted to say that I really appreciate that you guys are getting the candidates to come down. Thank you. Thank you. To meet you, you know, to meet to talk in person, and that callers are allowed to ask questions directly to them. You know, and I, I enjoyed the debate and everything. I really think that. Everyone's always running around saying, get out and vote, get out and vote. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's important to uh, get informed. Of course. And then go out and vote. <laughs> yes. I, I, think, I think that's a good step. I yes. think that's the right path. Yeah. It's the mission Yeah. Here. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't really know how to hunt down the information and, you know, they don't have all kind of time maybe during the day to listen. I, I think that's a great, uh, that's great for the, for the voters and for the candidates as well, obviously. And, um, so as far as you were saying about um, <laughs> candidates that didn't make it through the primary right, yeah. and get, get on board with each other, I'm interested to see what happens with, because the race with Doty and Deal I thought was interesting mm-hmm. in that all kinds of people were saying, you know, political analysts, everybody kind of saying, you know, Deal has, doesn't have a chance, so we got to back Doty. Right. Well, yeah. not everybody knew Doty either, right. you know, right. and... Um, and and I found it interesting that they're saying, even after he won the primary deal, they're saying he has no no chance in beating Healy. Well, interestingly enough, he he beat Doty. Yeah. So yes. Where the the full on, you know, I know he's less moderate for cer- for certain, but yeah. I want to see if Doty gets on board. I believe he has he, endorsed he, him. He has. He said the, yeah, him and his uh, running mate Campanelli said that they're supporting the GOP ticket. So. Yeah, I believe he did. He did yeah. say that. Um, but I'm more, and it's I a, want to be more than saying I endorse him. I want him to take, you know, get together, talk about strategy together, because if they think, you know, Doty had a better chance, I, I kind of want them to both have the impact and see if together they can take more uh, you know, give her a run for her money. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I feel it needs to be. If you feel you're in opposition to somebody that is almost a shoe-in, you have to all get on board, get together, yeah. use your best ideals, and see if you can make a difference. There just isn't right? that, that, that level of cohesion in the state party right now. I, I think that, so first of all, I, I think that Doty needs a little time, as anyone would. He just ran his first statewide race. Um, he did pretty well, but he didn't make it. So he's going to need some time I mean, I mean, to decompress. No one knew who he was like six months ago. It was no. pretty good. All things. Considered. I agree with you, Marcus. And so he needs yeah. some time to decompress, but not time to decompose, right? So, but we don't have time. What do we have now? A month and a half. Let's, yeah. You know what I mean? There's no time for playing around. Yeah. I think. I think they both need to show each other the best strategies, how to debate, how to whatever. I think they need a. a a one-on-one, flesh some stuff out, and make something happen. Because I don't like a lot of people throwing up their hands going, well, more is in. We can't have one party government all throughout the state. That's just setting ourselves up for a mess. You know, Marcus, no matter what you think, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> that is not a good plan. for eight years. Uh... It's, it's, gonna, it's going to be um, a very interesting experiment. And 
We've seen it before. It's, go, it's going and it's going to fail miserably. We saw it with it's Mike go- Dukakis. Oh no! Oh, you're talking about. Oh, I thought you were talking about the experiment of running a guy like Jeff Deal. No, no, one party I'm, state. Deval Patrick was there for eight years. The world didn't. The the, the state wasn't set on fire. The um, was it though? Well, you know, I think Deval Patrick was much more of a corporate, uh, business oriented Democrat than Maura Healy. He was a he was a Coca Cola executive. Right yeah, he was a yeah. much more. Works for Bain Capital now. Yeah, yeah. He's a much more um, payroll-oriented Democrat than an issue-oriented Democrat of, of a social nature, I think. And, and financially, we, we, we could be heading, you know, over the cliff. Well, we I will say this. The Massachusetts economy is a workhorse. Yeah. It really is. You'd have to you'd have to work pretty damn hard to screw the, up this the, economy. The thing is, with with all yeah, the uh, can be done. look look at the nation. Well, I had, I had I had lunch with a businessman today who told me he's concerned about the overall economy. Not and he's not trying to lay blame. He's not talking about that. He's just talking about the mixture, right? About what he sees out there overall. And he wasn't talking about Democrats or Republicans, any of that stuff, right? We're just talking about the business of business. Hey, I've I've got to take this break, but thank you for the call. I Thanks appreciate for the call. it. Have thank a wonderful you. weekend. Why should you download the Demore more call? Good evening. Hey, good evening. What's uh, up? I uh, I'd always been under the impression that the dike was built by the WPA administration. I know somebody mentioned it earlier. Really? I have I have uh, in front of me a copy of uh, uh, Spinner Publications, uh, yes. the Bedford History, and it, it actually was a uh, public works project started in 1962. Oh, they said at that time they said it was the biggest one since the uh, Tennessee Valley Authority. Interesting, because I I'd always thought it had come. Uh, so it was a, it was kind of a product of the New Deal then, because of of the. Um, I know I know okay. Mayor Harrington was the mayor at the time, mm-hmm. and um, it was the old ways of doing things. And I know that um, the 58, 58, 52 had a fifty four hurricane had happened uh, as well. So Diane, maybe yeah, it's a um, it's a great great project it really is thanks for the call it was pretty interesting thank you so much so uh we're closing out that's it for us we'll be back monday we got ken pibbin and jess machado this weekend and of course brian Brian, yep and that's always really good so um and jose matos and stay tuned for all that that'll be great and we'll see you guys on monday at 7 p.m have a good one